Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm joined by Elias Randall today, and we're going to talk about the three most likely scenarios if there's a delayed election result, which has kind of taken front and center going you know, back to probably the last couple, two or three months, we've, we've been hearing about the transfer, the peaceful transfer of power. You know, people believe that, you know, we're not going to know the actual result of this election on Election Day. And part of that's really driven by what's happened with COVID and mail-in ballots. We're seeing a record pace of mail-in ballots. So today we're going to talk about, you know, the three kind of scenarios that have happened in the past. Kind of go back and look at what was different in the past versus today. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. And, you know, we believe the election is going to be close. You know, whether you believe polling or not, most of the time elections are close. In fact, for the last five elections have been decided by less than 5% in the popular vote, which, you know, 5% is a pretty large number, but still it's a pretty narrow margin. Um, and, and actually in two of those, two of those periods of time, the winner of the electoral college actually lost the popular vote. Yep. Yeah. So actually, um, 2000, George Bush lost the popular vote, won the Electoral College. And then most recently, everyone remembers 2016, uh, Donald Trump, he lost the popular vote, but won the Electoral College. And I think that's another, you know, you kind of setting the stage here with this five per elections typically are won by less than 5% margin in the popular vote. So they're always close, you know, basically it's almost 50, 50 every time we have a presidential election, um, as far as the main two candidates go. Um, and then some other things to probably consider that would delay this. You mentioned COVID and I looked up some numbers. So 40% of voters typically vote early or through mail in ballots and the predict kind of the projections right now they're thinking more like 64 percent this year so that's pretty significant a 20 20 percent increase in mail-in ballots for this year yeah and i know just here locally i i have a lot of people that i know that have been voting early or have already voted and to be honest with you i don't really remember any election in the past where i had friends who were going and voting a week or two weeks early Right. So yeah. so some of what's happening on the debates and that stuff may be a little muted as people have already made up their mind. But but we should really plan on this being a, a close election. And we're going to talk a little bit about how markets have been affected in the past and what we see based upon the three outcomes. Um, you know, there could be a lot of logistical problems with the lines at the polls. And, you know, if people are voting by mail in ballot, uh, you know, arguably there's going to be some issues with potentially getting those counted on time. Um, and that really leads us into scenario one, right? And that's there's delays due to the time that it actually takes to count these votes, right? They're not just hit a computer, it's done. They're actually counting these votes. Um, and we went and looked up some statistics here. And, you know, because of COVID, there's already this kind of supply chain lag with the United States Postal Service, right? They're, right. they're, they're operating at about 90% capacity. So you couple this inefficiency already because of COVID with this record number of mail-in ballots, um, you know, it's going to add pressure to the situation to get these counted and get an actual feel for what's going to happen on election day. Right. So logistically, we have those issues that could slow things down. And then with that, there's going to be, I would assume, a fair amount of political posturing too. If we do have a delay, the Democrats are going to have their narrative and why it's happening. And a 
if we have a delay, Republicans will have their narrative and why it's happening as well. Um, so that could add to maybe some of the, um, I guess, the chaos or uncertainty that people might be worried about. And one of the things we may actually see is, <clears throat> if you statistically look at it, Democratic voters prefer to vote by mail over Republicans, meaning about 43% of Democratic voters vote by mail <clears throat> to 26% of Republicans. So it'll actually be interesting to see how this shakes out if if you have, you know, one candidate leading on election day as, you know, we're watching the news on Tuesday night to see what happens, but then all these other ballots come in and get counted, what what actually turns out to be. And that's going to be part of the, the unknown um, in this situation. Does that mean we do anything different with our financial plan or future? No, we just want to give people the information so they're not scared when this happens. This has all happened before. And we're going to kind of get into some different scenarios that have happened. So, you know, don't don't be nervous about this. This is just part of the process. And it's a little different this year because of what's going on with COVID and, you know, the mass amount of people who just don't maybe want to go directly to the ballot box on Election Day. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just add just for investors, be just go into it, be mentally prepared to not know the outcome on election night and also be prepared to uh, stick with your plan when if and when it does happen right so scenario two that we could see and this is probably likely and this has happened before but um we could have a vote recount right they could say hey we want to go back and recount all of these ballots um in a disputed election will cause uncertainty and we all know markets don't like uncertainty um Right. But that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. So we could see a drawdown or volatility, but we've been talking about volatility for, you know, the better part of six, seven months now. All and year, basically. All year, except for February. Right. It right. kind of started the end of February. And, you know, you made it through, if you're still fully invested and didn't bail out with COVID, well, that's that's maximum volatility. I would expect that type of volatility just because we're doing a recount. Um, in fact, you had went and did some research on what happened in 2000 when there was a disputed election uh, between uh, Gore and Bush, correct? Yep. Yeah. So 2000, if people remember, that was the big, uh, the hanging chads were the big dispute. So it was just some issue with how the ballots were getting marked and then they weren't being counted accurately. Um, but between the election and the time it was resolved, the S&P 500 uh, went negative 8%, which to me, after going through 2020 so far, like down 8%, I'm like, well, that's nothing compared to what we saw in March. So, you know, is that really impactful? Is that significant? Um, you know, it probably depends on where you're at and your time horizon and things like that. But um, I would definitely encourage people, if you survive March, you can survive, um, you know, an 8% correction. Well, and I think it's important to kind of compare time periods too, right? Because right. In 2000, we were in a different stage of the economic cycle. We were yes. actually headed into a recession, where now we're coming out of a recession. Right. Um, and that would be a huge, maybe not huge, but that would be a big economic difference. So, and so some of the research I read, well, people say the elect, the disputed election had something to do with that, but there was other economic factors that had more to do. Um, to do with the S&P going down 8% at that time. Which it, it's ironic because right. when we, we did our 10 truths about elections. We talked about how monetary policy has more to do with 
you know, the outcome of an election than really who the president is. So it really lends itself back to where are we in the business cycle? Where are we with monetary policy? In fact, I think they'd raised interest rates 175 basis points going into that. Um, so what that means for people listening is interest rates went up 1.75%. You know, today our, our rate's at zero, between zero and 0.25, based upon where, where we are today. So yeah, and the narrative from the Federal Reserve right now is they intend to keep rates low for the foreseeable future. So, I don't I don't know exactly what that timeline is, but um, at least in the short term, they're going to keep interest rates low. And if there's a recount, um, do you have any timelines on what that recount took back in 2000, Elias? So in 2000, it was all resolved by December 13th. So I think from a from the election to the day it was resolved was 36 days. So okay, just so, over a month. Right, which what's I think the Electoral College actually meets in December. Is it December 14th that they meet to actually cast their official votes? Yes, and it was resolved before the Electoral College got together to cast their official votes. Okay, so that kind of leads us into the third and probably the most disruptive one, and that's if there's a legal or legislative battle to challenge the results of the election, right? Yeah. Um this is also the most unlikely scenario uh, that exists, but given the uncertainty around what's going on with uh, mail-in ballots and COVID, um, we'd expect this you know scenario, if it happened, would probably cause the biggest sell-off because it's the biggest shock. And we know that markets like some type of certainty, so, so this would probably cause the largest amount of volatility in the markets. Right, <clears throat> right, and, and to be fair, I don't wanna, I don't want to bring up this scenario to incite panic. And then if you're listening, don't think, oh, well, these guys are saying there's going to be a, a contested election. We're not saying there will be a contested election. It's just get, get mentally prepared for it. And it's kind of like if it happens, at least you were kind of already thought about it before. And if it doesn't happen, because most likely it won't happen, then great. Then we can just move on. You know what? It goes back to what we really do. And that's, you know, we help people manage their emotions so they, they make really good, solid investment decisions. But if, if you're not armed with this and you don't have the information, this becomes a really scary scenario if you don't know about it. Right. But if you're already saying, hey, this could happen, you're not blindsided, you're less likely to make that knee-jerk rash decision to make a bad financial move based on something happening. And we always talk about that the more educated people are, the better decisions they make in life. I and mean, that's just, how it works. The more you know, the better decision you'll make. So that's what this is really about. Um, you know, you had talked in my office about 2011 and the debt downgrade and how that actually is potentially similar to a contested election. Yeah. And really, so what, what that event kind of signaled to investors and markets was really more government dysfunction. dysfunction. So, um, you know, and this that's why I would think this scenario, even though is the most unlikely, would cause the most volatility because if there's a disputed election, it's kind of signaling to the markets that there's some dysfunction in the government. Um, you know, and back then that was another signal of that. So that's probably, you know, we're drawing parallels there. We're not saying that's exactly the same event, um, but just kind of an analogy for people to think about. The great takeaway from that, though, is if you actually, it, it, we didn't look these numbers up in advance. I'm sure we can get them. But I'd be curious to know, what was the value of the S&P 500 on, you know, in 2011 
versus today, and it's something significantly lower. So once right. again, it goes back to if we have this big time frame or long time horizon, these little blips or things that seem like a big deal really just aren't that big of a deal in the long-term financial picture for somebody. Right, and it goes back to the question of, do you believe the market will be higher in 10 years than it is today? And over the history, not making a prediction of the future, but if you look at past performance, over 10-year periods, the market is always higher than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, so you know, we obviously empathize with all the concerns people would have around a contested election. That's why we're kind of doing this show is just to ease some of those concerns from a financial standpoint. Um, and really, what we don't want people to do is make a financial decision based on emotions. And it's the thesis of everything that we do with our practice, how we work with clients, the the process that we utilize to get clients to start to drown out the noise, or like we talked about in the last episode, fade the noise. Right. Just kind of get rid of it. Um, you know, short-term events cause emotional responses in the market. Um, and really, time in the market's the best indicator of success in investing. You know, we've showed the graphs. If you just put it in a box and let it go, things typically work out. And, you know, most of this is all fueled by media. Right. They need to get you to tune in. So we need to dramatize this. Um, you know, unfortunately, the, the entire presidential election is kind of turned into a reality TV show for lack of a better term um, <laughs> for, for everybody's entertainment. Uh, but it's fueled by the media. And, and we've subscribed the idea of trying to figure out how to get a media filter, right? How do we get rid of that noise to make really solid investment decisions? Yeah. And see, I get, so, you know, being a financial planner, I kind of get a kick out of watching CNBC, which a lot of times we advise clients not to, but then I watch it almost every day because I, I feel like I need to be in tune with what's going on. Um, There's a difference, though. You're watching CNBC to get information based upon markets. Correct. You're not watching CNBC to make investment decisions in the short term. Correct. Right? We're listening, and I listen to CNBC. What we want to do is get the market commentary to get their research. It doesn't mean we're making daily changes based upon what they tell us. Right. And that's, you know, there. So for me, it's like, okay, so the hot stock tip of the day, for me, that's irrelevant. Um, but as far as financial media goes, it would be nice to see more of, uh, like what we just said, time in the market being a good indicator of success with your investing. But that's pretty boring, right? So they're not just going to say, <laughs> well, you buy and hold, that's your best way to be successful, because that doesn't get people to turn the TV on to see, well, what's the hot stock tip of the day you know, and how am I going to capitalize on what's that? What's really interesting, though, is they actually will get people on there. When they get someone like us on the show or a Josh Brown, you know, they're talking about this long-term time horizon. Even though they're making moves in the short term, they're not telling their clients to go make yeah. these moves. That's why their clients have hired a professional is to navigate those issues for them. But what you've really done, Elias, if you look at that and say, I'm not worried about the hot stock tip, You've actually created your own media filter. You can watch that without becoming emotional and making a snap decision because some guy came out and said, hey, you should or shouldn't be doing this. Right, right. And I was actually, I, I was laughing the other day because the host of the show was really building up this question because markets mm -hmm. are back to an all-time high. And what should investors do? 
and there's she was interviewing a financial advisor. I know exactly where you're going with yeah. this. She's interviewing a financial advisor and he goes, this is probably the most boring answer I could give you, but it's it might be time to rebalance. Yeah. And it was like such a lackluster answer, <clears throat> but probably the right answer. Yeah, rebalance, you know, if someone's looking to make some moves, try to find some attractive sectors. If you have an advisor, that's what they should be doing for you. Um, and, you know, have a plan to figure out what your optimal portfolio is. It, you know, we talked about having the knowledge of this to make good decisions. Well, if you haven't put together your financial decision tree or your financial plan, how can you make a good decision about the allocation of your actual investments? So let's talk a little bit about the two contested elections we've actually had uh, since 1876 and how those actually kind of impacted the market. Yeah, so fortunately, it's not an unprecedented event. And I know the... Uh, Seems we'll probably like hear, yeah, we'll probably hear in the news this is unprecedented, a delayed election result. But it's actually happened twice. Can I do it for David Muir? Breaking news, just coming in, unprecedented event. It's, it's exactly what it's going to sound like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first time was, I mean, this is a long time. Well, not that long, 1960. Um, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon and the two... It was resolved in a matter of days. So it was like, it was really a non-event probably in society and definitely for markets, a non-event, which to kind of bring around one of our points, there's a pretty high bar of an election result being delayed to really cause a lot of uncertainty and volatility in the markets. Cause this was an example of when it happened and it was really a non-event. So just because it happens doesn't mean it's going to be meaningful or have a big impact. Yeah, that's a good analogy, but you know, I always like to focus on what happened most recent because I feel like people have recency bias. I don't remember that I wasn't born yet, but you know, we do remember the George Bush versus Al Gore election um, and the hanging chads. You've already hit on this, but what was really interesting between the election and when the decision was made, the S&P 500 was only down about 4.8%. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, was it really that big of an event or was it just driven by the media? Um, and then that was resolved by December 13th. Yeah, Pro you know, driven by the media. Um, and if that were to happen, you know, that happened back in 2000, um, I believe the S&P 500 was down almost 4% just in September. Right. So let's talk a little bit about... Um, how we actually try to help clients combat this. And it goes back to some of our primary goals and objectives of when we meet with somebody. And that's really to have a very regimented process to get people from the point in time when we could tell them from the time that we meet them to the point that we could tell them what we would do if we were them. Right. Um, and it revolves around a couple of things. It's one getting that financial plan narrowed down and establishing what the goals are for a client, their time horizon and risk tolerance. And I think we casually throw around the term financial plan or financial decision tree, but really the goal of this is to number one, make sure you're on track. Number two, try to define the probability of not outliving your money. But number three, lead you to an optimal portfolio so that when chaos in the world happens, you have rationale or reason why you own the mix of investments that you own. Right, right. And typically we come to that 
portfolio based on probability of success. So we've, you know, we've really stress test the portfolio for these different scenarios and determine before any short term event can cause any fluctuation that this portfolio gives you the optimal, um, optimal opportunity to achieve your goals uh, and the lifestyle you want to have. Right. So that's the first thing we do is set up that that plan. But there's another component that goes into it. It's what we kind of call the premier bucket strategy. And it's really trying to allocate your investments by responsibilities, right? So we have this asset allocation, but then we can go another layer. And every time we do these things, it's all designed to remove the human emotion because it's been proven time and time again that investor behavior predicates investment returns more than the investments themselves because people demonstrate bad behavior. So when we, when we go talk about a bucket system, it's really allocating money to short-term goals, income goals, and long-term growth goals. And, and I'll give you a great example. If the market you know, went down 25% and you have this bucket strategy, we can go say to someone, well, what bucket of money are we talking about? Because arguably, if you're talking about the liquid or cash reserves, well, they weren't affected. And if you're talking about your income bucket, arguably they shouldn't been that affected. So if we're only talking about the growth bucket, all of a sudden the client can look there and go, well, wow, I still have 10 years. So this really isn't a big deal. And it's a way to kind of quantify and get a person off of the ledge from making a poor investment decision. I can't tell you how many times this has come back to help somebody, you know, I guess exhibit good investor behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one analogy I kind of like to think of as far as, so we make a financial plan with time horizon and risk tolerance and goals and lifestyle in mind. And then the plan helps us make decisions. Um, an analogy I like, it's like similar to a football coach making a game plan for a game. Um, so, you know, like on Saturday, coach Ferentz, he probably has already thought through a lot of scenarios and situations, and he's going to know if it's in the middle of the fourth quarter and it's third and two on the 45-yard line and this is a big call, they probably have a pretty good idea of the play call they're going with and what they've decided in their game planning session leading into that game. So to me, it's like a financial plan is similar when you're coming up on an event that can cause a lot of emotions like an election. Well, we have our game plan, so let's do what has shown in the past to be successful and stick to the plan. Yeah, I, that's actually a very good analogy, and I've got a lot of friends who like football, so I'm sure they'll they'll relate to that analogy. Um, so really the main takeaways from what we're doing today is, number one, expect volatility in these markets, right? I mean, right. I think it's to be expected until we have a an outcome, and then that volatility will you know, hopefully diminish at some level. If you're in that accumulation stage of your plan, the volatility could actually be providing an opportunity for you. Right, right. Any, so volatility, you know, especially in the accumulation phase of an investor's life, um, it's similar to a sale. If the market goes down 10%, you can think of it, well, everything's discounted 10% from what it used to be. So, Continue with your systematic savings plan, and in the long term, everything's going to work out. Yeah, I, I always use the analogy with people. I'll just say, hey, if and we, you know, we live in Iowa, 
But if you would have started buying an acre of farmland 35 years ago and you bought one acre every year, how would you have turned out today? And I'd argue to guess most people would be pretty satisfied with their investment over time. So yeah. it's very similar to the stock market. If we concentrate less on the value of these investments and more on when you're in the accumulation phase, more on the accumulation of shares of an investment, it's kind of like accumulating acres of land. And yeah. when we focus on that versus the price, it allows us to go make those investment decisions. So think about it. If, if you had something selling at $10 and now it's at five, well, we bought twice as much stuff. In fact, you made the analogy on the last show. You, you made an analogy between going on sale and your wife finding something on sale. Right, right. So when the when the stock market goes on sale, you don't want to be a customer that leaves the store. Um, and I was telling the story. So my wife, she she's a bargain shopper. If she really wants something and it goes on sale, uh, she's going to buy it because now she feels better about that purchase because it was on sale. But at the same time, she doesn't look at our investment statements because if one comes back negative, it really bothers her. So I try to explain to her, honey, it's a sale. It's just like the sales that you like to go to at the mall or wherever you like to shop. Yeah, it's a great analogy and because you're right. People run from the sale and the biggest sales that happen, they typically run for. And you know, Warren Buffett said years ago, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And that's lending itself to your point right there, Elias. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. So what we want people to take away is there's going to be volatility. Make sure you have a plan. If you don't have a plan or a financial decision tree, or you just can't figure out how to allocate your investment dollars, get us at the website at btwellshow.com. We'd be more than happy to help you. Um, there's a button that says you can click it, get a plan. Uh, we can kind of get you started on the right track and help you know, take away the emotional side of some of these investing investing issues so that you can make really good long-term choices as to what you do with your dollars. I wanna thank everybody for watching the show today. I'm Roger Abel. If you have any questions or you have any anything you want us to answer on the air, go to our website, btwellshow.com. Uh, we'd be happy to address those. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.